it's not about building and pushing. It's not because you build great technology that people are going to line up outside your office and want to buy it. You need to do your homework. You need to understand how this technology that you're building is solving real problems of your customers, ideally in a better, more efficient, more economic, more profitable, more everything way than, than your competitors. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. All right. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Tyler Gabardella, and today I'm really, really excited to talk to Jorge Quantz on redefining marketing communication. Um, just a little bit about Jorge real quick. Jorge Quantz is a senior sales and marketing global executive speaker and graduate school professor of strategy, marketing, sales, and innovation. Jorge is currently vice president of strategy and marketing for the Americas for CareStream Health, where over the last 10 years, he has held several positions such as global marketing director, global service business development director, and Latin America marketing director. Over the past 20 years, Mr. Quant has advised hundreds of companies and individuals in finding their path to launch and growth. He continues to teach, consult, and advise companies and individuals alongside virtually and in person. You can get in touch with Jorge Quantz at the links that we'll provide in the webpage below. Jorge, without further ado, it's great to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited about this and I'm glad we could finally make it happen. So Jorge, um, First of all, you know, thank you so much, you know, for for joining us. We're we're super excited to talk to you. I think um, first and foremost, tell our listeners, if you could, a little bit about CareStream. Sure. You know, CareStream is a worldwide provider of medical imaging systems and and industrial imaging systems, uh, primarily in X-ray. Um, both for the non-destructive testing and the medical space, and also have some precision contract coding services for a wide range of industrial, medical, electronic, and other applications. Um, Kirstrom was born about 15 years ago after the sale of the um, medical imaging division from Kodak. So we, although we are a relatively young company of, of 15 years, we have a long legacy in the innovation and imaging space for, for more than 140 years of, of our parent company. We currently operate in about, I would say about 130 um, different countries, both directly and indirectly. And what we really do is we bring imaging technology and experience to opportunely detect a defect that will uh, allow us to have the right actions, both from a preventative and corrective standpoint for either structural uh, things or people. So, uh, in in a nutshell, we're in the businesses of of helping save lives around the world, and that opportune detection of defect is what allows professionals, whether engineers or medical professionals, to define what the right path would be to improve people's lives. So, yeah, this is this is what we do, and we're we're incredibly proud of the fact that we have a, you know that we, that we contribute to. Uh, making this world a better and safer place. Yeah, that that's awesome. So, who are the end users of CareStream's technology? Is it surgeons, doctors? Help help our listeners understand that. Like, who's actually using the technology on a day to day? 
Well, all, all of the above, right? So anyone who requires images of either people or things to detect defects would be uh, the beneficiaries of our technology. Uh, the direct users are typically radiology technologists, whether in the human space or the industrial space, um, who are actually uh, interacting with our medical devices right so x-ray machines for the most part x-ray detectors we're very focused on the capture side of things so um you know taking the picture just like we used to do with kodak except uh, as opposed to your regular camera or the camera on your iphone or or a smartphone uh we build quote-unquote cameras that take pictures of the in insights of, of of people whether we're we're, we're, we're uh, imaging people right so soft tissue and bones um, organs, soft tissue, and bones. And in the case of our industrial division, we take pictures of things such as, you know, landing gears and airplanes or pipelines to make sure that that they are they are, um, you know, they're they're sticking together that they have no faults that there are no risks. So, you know, we are all over the place, right? Whether you're riding your car, right, or riding a plane or going over a bridge, there's a high probability that imaging technology has been utilized to make sure that there is no defect in your brake system, that there is no defect on the landing gear of the plane, that there are no defects on the um, on the structure of that bridge so that you're safe, you and your family are safe. But also when, when you go to the doctor and you get imaging to opportunely detect whether there is a defect, defect in your organs, soft tissue and bones that would then conduct for a, a corrective action that could potentially save your life lives so we're 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 all over the place i mean our end users are the technologists that actually take the picture if you may but but we benefit every everyone in the world quite frankly honestly it sounds like a very important picture that we're taking here and i'm happy you guys exist <laughs> um you know it's, it's our purpose and we're proud of it yeah no it's definitely a great purpose and um and when we were first when we first met me and you were chalking it up around how difficult it must be to market and get your brand in front of and, and ultimately sell to these end users or decision makers i mean this is really critical infrastructure that we're talking about the care stream offering and you know me and you were chopping up around how the pandemic sort of really turned things upside down. It used to be a lot of in-person meetings, a lot of in-person demonstrations, and that wasn't really possible anymore. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, you're doing some really awesome things in this marketing space. So tell us a little bit about it. How did the pandemic kind of accelerate the relevance of the digital world, if you will, for, for CareStream? Yeah, I think you, you you use two terms, and I think they're both equally important, right? The term change, right, or transformation is one, but then there's also the term acceleration, right? Because I think that uh, a lot of what the pandemic did was to accelerate the inevitable, right? The fact that people would more and more leverage the available technology to improve the quality um, and productivity or efficiency of their interactions that they have on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So before the pandemic, we would feel very comfortable with, I think I told you about this, we feel very comfortable with taking three, four, five, six-hour flights for a two-hour meeting, right? And um, 
and and that significantly disrupts everything that you do not only from a professional standpoint but also from a personal standpoint right i think uh, the technology was there i mean zoom has been there for a while you know facetime other types of of you know digital slash remote interaction platforms have been there for a while even since it, you know webex was a big thing a, a few years ago we just didn't necessarily use them to the extent that we do now and we were sort of forced to do it when we were all locked down because of the pandemic so there's whether or not um you know we, we can argue of, of of how long it would have taken us to get to where we are today had there been no pandemic i think we would have gotten there eventually because one thing that i think is true about us as humans is we are more conscious and seeking a better balance in our lives as a whole right so the use of technology serves a purpose of of that right it serves a purpose of having allowing people to define their terms to define their times to to acquire content in their own terms right and we don't we don't all have to coincide um the pandemic accelerated a lot of that but it also you know from from a marketing uh, not only in the b2b but also the b2c space it transformed the way that we do things and it challenged or broke a lot of paradigms in terms of how we needed to do things to get the attention of our potential buyers uh so there was there there was a combination of transformational things and and also uh, a significant acceleration of the usage and adoption of technology that was already out there and where that we're seeing the benefits of right even in in a in the post-pandemic world, right? We continue to leverage those tools and we feel much more comfortable doing so. I think you said something that really just stuck out to me. Define your terms, right? Um, you know, even though like the trigger event, right? The pandemic w was circumstantial. Like how did your team work to ensure that the changes, you know, that I hope we can get into a little bit, were implemented in like a transformational nature. Is that what you mean by defining your terms, making sure that your end users, your prospects, your potential clients were able to get access to exactly what information and resources they need on their own time at their own terms, it, it, where, where and when they wanted it? Oh, absolutely. I think that's, that's the transformational part. I think that we, as, as, as potentially many other companies in the B2B space, uh, have been very used and comfortable with what I would call a push strategy, right? Pushing your value proposition, pushing your features, pushing your brand, pushing your solutions down to customers and expect them to be receptive of them when you show them to them, right? So whether it's a trade show or whether it's a conference or whether it's a going over and and knocking on their doors and and giving them a brochure they're all push actions right which you expect your customers to be receptive to and quite frankly there are many times where those push actions what, what they really do is they raise barriers from on, on the other side because the, the the actions are a manifestation of the fact that what you care about is what you care about which is selling your things right and then you're trying to fit them into you know the different customers and hoping that they're going to solve their needs there's a really there, there's a great quote that i use a lot i think it's, it's i think it's a maslow quote 
that says when everything you have is a hammer or when, or, or when the only thing you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So you go out there with your hammer, you go out there with your solutions, and then you're, you're banging on the doors and on the heads of all your potential customers and hoping that they're going to be receptive and they're, they're going to bite. I think what's been transformational about the way that we do business-to-business marketing, partly because of the pandemic, but largely also because of the empowerment of, of buyers you know, through technology, is that we need to stop thinking of this push-down strategy and start thinking of a pool availability strategy where we understand what's relevant to our customers, we understand what they care about, we create the content and solutions that are going to solve real problems that they care about, and then literally we throw the lines in the water, right? Because now customers are empowered customers buyers are empowered to go and find their own solutions what we need to do now is not to push but to make available and the more lines that we throw in the water with the right content with the right solution with the right and relevant solution to solve real problems the better chance we're going to get that they're going to bite and 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 try to buy our stuff right so this this concept of moving from from the hammering strategy from the push down strategy uh to the make yourselves available lines in the water strategy changes a lot about you know the way that we structure our organizations the word the way that we structure our strategies the things that we focus on because it's now about being found when you're needed as opposed to going out there and and you know finding customers i think that that is essentially uh you know what changed and changed a lot because of the pandemic but it's changed it's been coming you know it's been coming with the empowerment of 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 individuals and buyers to go and and own their own customer journey right they own their customer journey and they want to go through it in their own terms right so in their own time in their own terms Hey, sometimes it's in the middle of the night. Sometimes they make their decisions at 3 a.m. when they're sitting at home, right? On their phone or their computer. Yeah, I, no, what you're saying is is so spot on. And if you need any proof, I mean, just look at individuals, us as individuals, right? Because, I mean, think about how almost random it feels when we interact with a a brand or look up something on our phones or you know we have we're we're juggling 50 different things at once all of us in our personal and professional lives and so i love what you said of being available with the right information the right resources the right content um, whenever the end user quite frankly wants it because because i think what we forget a lot as marketers is it's about them it's not about us right so um, I, I think what you're saying is, is spot on. Um, I have so many questions and I think that you're someone who we would really love to pick your brain on like, <clears throat> okay, you know, we have these traditional roles uh, and these traditional roles like sales, like sales enablement, um, AEs, channel partners, like they've been working in a certain way for all these years, like you mentioned it, let's jump on a four hour flight for a two hour meeting and try to close the deal. Well, well that doesn't necessarily 
that's not necessarily wanted, I would say, by the customer anymore. So talk to me about some of the things that you guys specifically implemented. I know you've done some awesome things with like live streaming demonstrations from your own studio. Um, how has that been built out? And then talk to me about how the other players, if you will, like sales, AEs, channel partners, other marketers, how have they kind of played into this strategy that you've built out for Kickstreet? Sure. So let, let me give you a couple of examples of things that we did uh, during the pandemic and post-pandemic have continued to to evolve. Uh, one is the creation of, of these virtual spaces, right? Virtual hospital and virtual non-destructive testing space where, and this happened again out of circumstance when we realized that we were used to, for, for many, many years, we were used to going to trade shows and expecting so much from trade shows and hoping to capture leads, build relationships, nurture relationships, close deals in trade shows. And there was a lay of the land, right? And then all of a sudden, 2020 comes and we can't go to trade shows, right? They're canceled. They're risky. People are, are, are locked down. But as, as brands, we still had this need to be able to convey our value proposition to that audience that we used to, to see at the trade shows. Uh, so income virtual trade shows, right? So most of the companies who were organizing these events said, well, we can't be there in person, let's be there virtually. And then came an influx of virtual events, webinars, what have you, right? So many things. And I, I, I'm sure you, you experienced this during the pandemic you would get invited to five, 10, 15 webinars a day, right? Yeah. Oh, a day, I don't know. a week, yes. <laughs> you would probably sign up for half of them or more, and you would show up to one if that, right? It was not efficient, but we all were desperate trying to figure out how do I get in front of my customers when my customers are no longer in front of me, right? Um, so we went to explore this trade show concept. And one thing that I realized, uh, and this is back when I was uh, running global marketing, I realized that most companies, when they were looking at the virtual trade show e or, or events, what they were trying to do was to recreate what they would have otherwise done in this, in this trade show environment. So they were building virtual booths, right? With the, uh, with the same look and feel, with the same layouts, with the same even space constraints that you would have based on your budget when you go to a trade show and they were building these on the trade show platforms themselves right so i i had big conflicts with that because i thought hey one of the things that determines how you present yourself in the trade show uh, and and the amount of creativity that you can bring to your booth is the space is the structure right so why, if we don't have the space and structure uh, constraints in the virtual world, why are we constraining ourselves? A. B, if we can build something that's digital and virtual, why would we build it on the platform of the trade show that's going to expire after five days? Uh, it made no sense to me, but this is what everyone else was doing. So what I proposed was, what if we were to create spaces we're going to be virtual nonetheless, but what if we were to create spaces where we're showing our solutions and the way they improve our customers' lives and the different personas within the environments where we sell in the spaces that they're going to see them, in the spaces that they're used to. So we created two platforms. One's called Virtual Hospital and the other one's called Virtual NDT. 
And the, what we basically did is we positioned, digitally positioned our solutions in the spaces where our customers will interact with them when they buy them. So the hospital, the radiology room, the urgent care place, right? The laying down of a pipeline in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, where you have to inspect that pipeline to make sure that there are no um, leaks that could potentially harm people. So we created these spaces and we allowed people to navigate through them and have a one-stop shop for everything value proposition of our solutions. So you go into these virtual spaces, it's an immersive environment, you can see the equipment that we sell where you would see it if you buy it, but then you can start to interact with the different value propositions and assets in, in just a one, one place, right? So what we achieved with that is a better customer experience. As a matter of fact, we won the silver uh, Stevie award for best customer experience with this, and we're going up against, you know, first place was Cisco, and then it was us, right? So we're very proud of that. Um, we created a great customer experience, but not only that, right? We allowed people to access our value proposition from the comfort of their home or phone in their own terms at their own time and navigate. If they didn't want to, we also had the opportunity for this or created the opportunity for this to be one uh, standardized, consistent the delivery of our value proposition when being delivered by our, by our AEs, right? One of the things that I wanted to solve with this was I've been out there, I, I've been in sales, I've been out there in front of a customer, I've been asked a tough question, and then I've been in that horrible situation where you're, you get asked a question, it's not in that PowerPoint that you prepared because you didn't anticipate that that would come up, and there you go in that horrible horrible scenario that I think a lot of us have experienced where you're fishing around, you know, you open up my documents, you're projecting, everyone's seen everything you have on your screen, right? You go into your my documents, you're fishing for the right, uh, for the right presentation, you can't find it, you jump to your mailbox, you're clicking on, you know, what was the name of that marketing guy who sent it? And then you're scrolling down and trying to find the latest and greatest, uh, or, or you pick up the phone, you phone a friend, it's a horrible, horrible um, moment for salespeople. So one of the things that we created with this virtual spaces is we put there all the assets, all the customer-facing assets that you would need for, let's say, 80% of the conversation with your customers in a single, consistent, branded platform. So it's not only serving the purpose of self-navigation in the terms that you as a customer would want and need to access our value proposition, but it's also enabling our sales teams and our channel partners who then took those and put them in their own sites, right? A, a co-branded version of the virtual hospital, a co-branded version of virtual NDT, right? And it allows you to maintain a consistent brand identity, a consistent value proposition, and to let, you know, to, to, to give them that toolbox so that when they figure out that what they need at that precise moment, it's not a hammer, but it's a screwdriver, they know where to find it and it's hassle-free. So this was, this was transformational for us because we changed the way that we're approaching uh, you know, our customers, that we're allowing them to find us and navigate through our value proposition, and that our sales teams are able to convey our value proposition when they're interacting with their customers, whether virtually or in person. If anybody wants to get their hands on what 
Jorge is describing. Just you can just Google CareStream at Virtual Hospital, right? And I mean, it is it's awesome to look at. I, I haven't seen anything like that on any other marketers' websites, any other product sites. Um, and, and I think I think there's a lot of room for other brands to adopt some of what CareStream and, and Jorge and his team are doing um, in terms of just giving the power to that client, to the prospect. Like you said, to for, for them when it's 3 a.m. And, and their baby's crying and you know they've got their phone on one hand because they have to be up anyway and they're nursing their kid back to... I mean, hey, it, it's, a, it's a really, really not only informational, but interactive um experience so and and you said there was another one too so it's care street virtual hospital and then what's the other one virtual ndt for non-destructive testing uh business so the difference between one and the other is in one of them you are in the hospital environment or a clinical clinical environment which is the one that you mentioned virtual hospital in virtual ndt you're out there in the middle of nowhere laying down a pipe of oil and gas or you're inside a casting a factory or you're in the hangar doing maintenance on an airplane before it takes off and and you know with 150 passengers and making sure that they're safe on that flight so yeah it's a it's 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 i mean it's it's all that that you said and it's also it's also a lot of fun quite frankly to go in there and i think there's no reason why in the b2b space we shouldn't create things that are entertaining and fun for our customers as a matter of fact i think we should right yeah uh, yeah, def- definitely. Uh, why does B2C get to have all the fun? Um, <laughs> exactly. So how do your sales rep, like, let's talk about this now, like, sales, um partners, like, are, are you, are they still reaching out? How are they now? How does sales, I guess, let me raise the question. How does sales leverage and work alongside for their own benefit and for CareStream's benefit to convert these clients and prospects who are, you know, immersing themselves in your products in these virtual trade show, in these virtual uh, worlds. How does sales and and the AEs talk to me about that? How, how are they working alongside these virtual worlds that you're creating? Well, I think they, there's, there's two main um functions of your sales and channel partners right one of them is the upstream part of it uh, everything that we do and uh, by the way virtual virtual hospital virtual NDT is only one of a, of a wide array of tools that we've developed over the past two or three years since the pandemic um you know but they all they all need to start with a clear understanding of the customer right they all need to start with a clear understanding of what the customer uh, is trying to achieve or what we call the customer job, right? What are they trying to achieve? What's impeding them from achieving it uh, in the best way possible or the less, you know, the, the most hassle-free way possible? So what are the pain points that they face on a day-to-day basis to accomplish what they want to do? And then what is their desire? What do they want to achieve or what what would be the the perfect scenario right so i always i always think about it this way if you're in sales there's two things that you need to have very clear you need to have full clarity of what keeps your customer up at night which is the pain points and you have to have full clarity of what they dream of when they actually go to sleep 
Because if you're able to provide your customer with relevant solutions to to eliminate the pain points and actually be able to sleep at night and have that peace of mind and achieve their goals, but you're also taking them by the hand and through your value proposition and your technology, helping them achieve everything that they want to achieve beyond just doing the job, then you're going to be partners for life, right? So the only way to understand what keeps them up at night and what they dream of is to have a very solid upstream VOC practice. And that is one thing that you need your frontline employees for. You need the AEs who are interacting with your customers on a day-to-day basis, who are going in there and, and, and doing, in our case, doing studies or, or you know, taking images of the, of the oil and gas pipes. You need your channel partners who have the coverage and proximity and are talking to the customers every day. You need your field engineers who go in there every single day and solve customer problems to provide you with the intelligence to understand what keeps them up at night and what they dream of when they sleep. And once you have that, you get a bear, you get a good understanding of what you need to build, not only from an R&D standpoint and technology roadmap standpoint, but also from a value proposition standpoint to solve real problems that they really care about. Um, you know, our customers are always going to be selective of what they pay attention to. We all are right um so it's it's selective perception is is basically saying i'm only going to pay attention to that which is relevant to me if we have no clarity of what's relevant to our customers then we really have two options we we do almost a a shotgun approach where you just throw everything out there and see what sticks right but then everybody else is doing that and then 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 the messaging space becomes so saturated that our customers will shut down. Or you can go for a sniper approach, which is, I understand exactly what you need. I understand exactly what your pain point is. And I'm going to trigger that pain point with a solution that's going to be relevant to you, which also is a path to differentiation, right? So, you know, we, we, we often, too often, in, particularly in the technology B2B space, and because we're proud of it, we, we go out with our technology, with our features. And the fact is, our customers don't care about our features. They don't. What they really care about is what that feature can do for me to solve my problems. So the first thing that you need from your frontline, from your AEs and from your channel partners is to have a solid practice for them to provide upstream information on what the different customer segments and different customer personas find relevant. You need your marketing department and your content department and your R&D and, and your product development departments to build the toolbox and the solutions and to transform the features into solutions that are going to solve real problems or enable real successes for your customers. And then you, then, then you need your AEs and channel partners again to deliver that message, right? So it's, it's almost a, it's a circle. You need them for the upstream. You need them from the downstream from a delivery standpoint. And then you assist them with a with a technology, uh, marketing collateral, uh, training, enablement toolbox, so that they can do this more efficiently every time. Do you think that marketing and what you're describing, like, do you think this is a fundamental change that 
we're going to see more and more brands adopt? Or do you think that there's still room or, or like a longer tail maybe until brands get to this point? Like, do you think in your mind, like, should all of B2B be going this way? Is, is this marketing fundamentally kind of shifting right in front of our eyes? I don't, I, honestly, I don't, I don't see another way, right? Because I think that a lot of companies in the B2B space and, and, and at times ourselves included have been operating in either isolated spaces, right? Or in spaces where technological advantages are sustainable for a longer period of time, right? I think that, you know, technology and, 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 today is it's really fast right when you come up with something from a feature standpoint from a technology standpoint that's truly groundbreaking it's going to be copied really quickly potentially someone's going to do it better because they're going to take what you did and they're going to improve on it right so trying to have an and and i'll call it an arrogant approach of i'm going to sit on my technological capabilities and be successful because of that it's a risk it's a very risky move and one of the things that i've i've referred to and this is this is an, an old analogy but maybe some of our listeners will get it uh, is that you know a lot of us go out to market with what i call the field of dreams approach and the field of dreams approach is i don't know if you saw that movie many years ago but it's the if you build it they will come approach guess what they won't right <laughs> so it's not about building and pushing. It's not because you build great technology that people are going to line up outside your office and want to buy it. You need to do your homework. You need to understand how this technology that you're building uh, is solving real problems of your customers, ideally in a better, more efficient, more economic, more profitable, more everything way than, than your competitors. And you need to understand the fact that whatever you put out there that's good, is going to eventually become table stakes of your industry and you have to be thinking about the next thing and the only or the best source for your development of the next next thing is your customers listening to them all the time so that leads me into i mean because when we gosh when we first met you know it was like three or four months ago is early november late october kind of a different scenario now it seems like the financial macroeconomic climate is in a different sort of space. So like, you know, talk to me about the next thing, talking to your customers, but also adapting how you're doing that for maybe a potential economic downturn. Well, I think, you know, yes, we, we all, and this is, this is a, a global statement, right? We're all facing significant economic headwinds that put a lot of pressure, uh, financial pressure, both on ours, us and our customers. And it's almost like a, a chain reaction, right? Our, our end users and customers are, are pressured, our customers are pressured, uh, and therefore vendors are pressured, and we pressure back to <laughs> raw material supply chains, and it becomes a very uh, negative downward spiral in many cases. But I think, you know, there's there's two things that, that that I truly believe. I think I truly believe that even in 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 a current scenario like where where we are today, which uh, would typically create 
an, ero an erosion in industry prices across the board, there continues to be an opportunity to create significant and relevant value to be differentiated and continue to maximize your profitability. But, it, but again, it depends on your ability to solve real problems in a better way than, than the next guy, right? In a world where, where everyone is the same, everyone's facing the same challenges and no one's able to clearly articulate value to customers, price is your only tool, right? So we are seeing significant pressures from a price standpoint, from a cost standpoint, but I think that it is in those times of adversity where you really need to innovate in the way that you do things and you go to market in the way that you deliver your value proposition in the way that you solve real problems to continue to to thrive in in, in an otherwise adverse situation right um i i think that if anything right and, and just going back to to the last three years of the pandemic and everything that we have seen that has evolved from the pandemic sometimes we need these times to trigger uh, creativity and thought, right? Uh, it, it is in the adverse times, it is in times of trouble where you potentially, you, you have an incentive to go out and seek different solutions. When everything is good, when everything is okay, when everything is working, you have no incentives to try to change things. Necessity, the mother of invention, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, one last question I have for you is, you know, can, you know, when we were talking, you were telling me about, you know, how one can move from promise-based to proof-based marketing. Let me pose a question to you. <clears throat> if our marketers are, you know, uh, our listeners, a lot of them are in marketing, a lot of them are leading marketing with budgets, some of them are leading website content, demand gen, you name it. Um, this proof-based marketing concepts, you know, it doesn't have to be a virtual hospital or a virtual NDT. Give me maybe an idea. Maybe can you talk to this idea of proof-based marketing, um, maybe to spur some of those ideal ideation juices going on in our listeners right now? Like, what are some things that you admire that you've seen on the proof-based marketing front or that you're thinking of yourself um, continuing to innovate. Talk to us about that. Well, let me, let me start with, with giving you my interpretation of, of the concept and what I've challenged my team to do. Uh, Promise-based marketing, which is in many ways a traditional way of marketing and selling, is basically going out and saying, buy my stuff, buy my widget, it's going to do this, believe you me, it will, right? <laughs> So this is the promise-based marketing, right? This is, this is going to be great. Um, Proof-based marketing, uh, in, in my mind, is basically becoming a conduct to demonstrate that your claims are true. And becoming a conduct means that people are going to buy and believe uh, more from others that are in their same situation that they are going to do from you. So it, really what this creates from a marketing function and department standpoint is that we need to shift from being a content or value proposition push down department to value proposition channel so that 
We are finding the customers who have had great experiences with our brand and our products, and we are collecting their testimonies and their experiences and becoming a conduct to put those in front of other customers who don't know us, right? We're very used to this in the B2C space because I, I doubt that any one of us goes in uh, you know, to buy something from ourselves of certain relevance or price and does not look at the reviews. Think about your Amazon experience, right? You go in there and on top of the Amazon page, when you're going to buy something, whatever, you're going to buy a computer, a phone, a, a TV, whatever, right? You go and you look at the, you look at the offer, right? So the first thing you see, you, you see is the offer. What is the vendor going to say about their product? It's the best thing since sliced bread. It's awesome, right? That is a promise marketing. They, they, they'll throw features at you, right? It has this definition. It has this resolution. It has these buttons. It, it lasts forever, right? This is all the promise-based marketing. It's all fine and good. And there's ways to do it. And there's sufficient ways to do it to become very credible at doing it, right? But I'll tell you, most of us will scroll down to the reviews. Most of us will go down and look at, hey, how many stars does this product have? And then scroll down and look at the comments. And you'll buy or not buy more based on the proof than the promise. And this is true in the B2B space as well. People are going to buy from each other more than they're going to buy from you. So the challenge is, how do I collect, the well, create, of course, but then collect the good customer experiences and become a conduct to put that in front of others who are going to believe their peers more than they're going to believe their vendor. So this is the whole proof-based concept. Now, how do we materialize it? Well, we are passionate and aggressive and bullish about capturing customers' testimonials, right? Both good and bad, right? The good ones we use for proof-based marketing, the bad ones we use for improvement processes. Uh, in the end, you know, everything in this conversation has has revolved around the fact that you need to start with and end with the customer. And if you don't have the right platforms to collect the voice of your customer, to put it in front of those for whom it will be relevant, to utilize it to create the right and relevant content that solves real problems, real needs, real pain points, that enables real success, and then you feed it back to them, ideally with proof that what you're saying is not a promise, but a truth, you're not gonna be successful. But if you focus, if you become a truly customer-centric uh, organization, you start with the customer, you end with the customer, and then you start over, I think you have a better chance of succeeding. I, I can't agree more. <clears throat> and, you know, with that said, or I think we're uh, we're running right up on time here. So, <laughs> I mean, you you are truly, and I'm saying this, you are visionary in the B2B marketing space. What you're doing and your team is doing at CareStream is not only winning awards, but it needs to be, like you said, copied, adopted, enacted into all different areas of B2B. Um, I can't thank you enough for for coming on and, and talking to our listeners and and you know 
I hopefully they learned just as much as I have in, in talking to you for the last half hour, 45 minutes. Um, I will ask you this. Give us some personal recommendations here. Maybe some good books you're reading, blogs, newsletters, websites, YouTube channels, whatever you want to you wanna recommend to our listeners here. Um, what's stimulating your brain out there? Um, and then maybe if you can, give us um, some ways that our listeners might be able to get in touch with you. Oh, well, thank you. First of all, thank you for your, for your comments. And I've enjoyed this and I could... I could go on for another couple hours, as you as you can see, but but um, but thank you. Hopefully, we we can do a follow up at some time. I'll I'll give you three. I'll, I'll give you three books, and they're not B two B related, but uh, but they're certainly related to uh, what we've been talking around: adversity, transformation, and and circumstance based reaction. Right. The first one is a book by uh, one of my favorite authors, Ryan Holiday, and it's called "The Obstacle Is the Way." Um, because I think one of the things that we've we we've been faced with um, more and more over you know more so in the past few years is adversity, and what Ryan Holiday proposes in this book, which is you know cap you know he captures and, and rephrases a lot of the old Stoic approaches from the times of Marcus Aurelius and them, is that there is a way to turn adversity into advantage right and that there are times where what stands in the way actually becomes a way and this is you know i keep thinking about the you know virtual hospital virtual ndt and and the shock that we all had with the adversity of we're not going to be able to do traditional b2b marketing and go to our trade show that was the obstacle but really truly became the way for us to deliver something transformational so I would say that's the that's the first one. The obstacle is the way by Ryan Holiday. By Ryan Holiday is one of my favorites. Um, there's another one by um, a guy called I think it's uh, Alex Benayan. I hope I'm not saying it wrong. Alex Benayan's the third door. And basically, uh, you know, it, it's it's a compilation of different stories of this this kid who. Um, who finds ways to become really successful um, by accessing what he calls the third door and the analogy starts in in you know when you go to a to a club and you can stand in line and get rejected right and he he's he basically says there's always a third door right you need to get out of the line run behind you know, run on the run on the on the alley look at the back door bang on that door, go in through the kitchen, break a window, go in. There's always a way in, right? So <laughs> this is just a fantastic book. It's inspirational. It's a compilation of, of really anecdotes and adventures and his interactions with, with different people, right? Who, who, who give them, give him different teachings. And I think that the last one, which is particularly relevant, uh, for, for, companies like ourselves who at times have to go out there and compete with giants um is uh, malcolm gladwell's david and goliath and i think what you know what what he he shows us there again with a series of anecdotes of different companies is that sometimes the apparent strengths of companies are their biggest weaknesses right and sometimes you know we can actually from our trenches from from our size be you know that small shepherd 
with a sling and a stone who can knock down giants. So I would say if you're ever in front of a giant, don't try to go fight him, you know, hand to hand, right? Don't try to wrestle the giant. Just find a way to knock the giant out using what you have, using your tools, your strengths, your resources, and and not, you know, fight the wars on your own terms. And and there's a better chance that you'll win. So those three have have been very inspirational to me amongst uh, you know many others. Um, but I think you know they're 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 not um, you know they're they're relevant to the conversation that we just had. Um, getting in touch with me, please do. <laughs> so uh, you know I, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Jorge Quant, J O R G E Q U A N T. Um, my email is uh, the same. My name Jorge J O R G E underscore Quant. Q-U-A-N-T at yahoo.com and then I'll, I'll also welcome if if you want to give me a call send me a text message or or whatever um i left my my phone number here i don't know if you're going to post it in the show notes um but please feel free to feel free to reach out to me i you know one of the things that you and i talked about was how people uh don't want to talk to humans anymore i do <laughs> so uh yeah give me a call for all you junior listeners out there, even sellers, Mr. Quant loves cold calls. He's not, he might not ever buy anything from you, but he'll definitely rate you on your pitch and give you some advice on how to improve it. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. If you catch him at the right time, otherwise he'll be designing the future B2B marketing. Um, well, hey, Jorge Quant, everybody, uh, marketer, strategist, professor, father, um and avid reader of all things insightful and inspirational uh thank you so much jorge for for jumping on with us um that's it for today guys um i'm your host tyler gambardella thank you again mr quant thanks for having me today's episode is made possible by demandbase Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 